Esther, this is, this is an awkward situation, mademoiselle. Uh, Dulouzy, I chose that name to keep my initials intact. So, this is what happens when you want to make a change, Teo. We're to take someone in to teach disloyalty to our children? I give you my word, madame. I would not allow my political beliefs to affect my teachings of your children. But if, if these things make a difference in your feeling, I will, of course, understand. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched our fourth film in the 1940 nominees, All This and Heaven Too, starring Charles Boyer and Betty Davis. Who, I'm just going to come out and say it, I don't like Betty Davis. <laughs> I knew that this movie wasn't going to change your mind. Oh, for sure. I honestly was watching, because it's two and a half hours long. And really unnecessarily. Oh, God, yeah, there's maybe 40 minutes of plot to this fucking movie. Maybe. I was watching it, and I went... Almost made it to the end of the year. Almost made it out. I really thought that we bingled Lancered the right movie. And like, maybe we did, but this is really neck and neck with Jezebel for like, uh, God, I just don't want to talk about this. Uh, okay, well then I could try to take the lead here. I, I mean, there's not a lot to say, so this is probably not going to be one of the longest episodes we've ever done. Yeah, for sure not. The plot is that Betty Davis plays a French teacher who, in the beginning of the film, it's her first day at an American girls' school. She goes to start class, and some of the students are gossiping about her. And she is freaked out and tells her boss that she can't do this job, that she has to leave. Her boss is like, no, you can do this. Go in there and teach this class. So she goes in and says, oh, well, let me tell you a story about this woman. And this is our framing device for her telling the story of being a governess in France at some point after Napoleon. So it's, I don't know, it's set in the 18-verse. She is a governess to this duke played by Charles Boyer. And... His wife is just mean. I couldn't really tell at first if she was, like, maybe some sort of ill or, like, she had, you know, hysteria or whatever. I think it's implied that the last kid isn't his. But, like, the code ruins what little movie there is here is another thing I hate about this movie. In this whole section, where, like, nobody's allowed to just be evil. Everybody has to have, like, 40 minutes of backstory. They do keep saying, and another child, who came along much later. And when the father says this and sort of, like, looks at the camera, like, you get what we mean. Yeah. It's not my kid. Yeah. So they have a really unhappy marriage. The kids adore their new governess, which is understandable since their mom is kind of a monster and their dad previously was kind of uninterested in his children's upbringing but now with the new cute governess he's like yeah kids i love them <laughs> and then there's an incredible 
incredibly unnecessarily long amount of time dedicated to the two of them falling in love because of her being pretty and sweet and maternal. Then the wife confronts him and gets all mad because people are gossiping that he is sleeping with the nanny. She says that she will write Henriette a letter of recommendation if she leaves. So she leaves and is waiting on the letter. The Duke comes to visit her and Henriette's landlady tells him that she hasn't received this letter of recommendation yet. So she can't do any work because of all of the gossip about her. He goes home, talks to his wife, and she reveals that she has written the letter of recommendation, but she's also written another letter that's like, she's a hussy and terrible and ruined my marriage. Except they can't even really say that because of the Hayes Code. Right. And then he, in perhaps the most old school genre film horror shot of all time, gets really enraged and stabs her to death with a letter opener. Which then results in Henriette getting arrested because people are like crying out for her blood in the streets, which I don't really understand how they even found out. And then she ends up being cleared, but she has to leave France and go to America. And that's it. Oh, and then all the little girls are crying and they're like, we love you, teacher, and we'll never say anything bad about you again. Which I don't believe at all because one of our leads commits murder in the middle of this movie. And the worst person in this universe is definitely the little girl gossiping about her at the start of the movie, right? <laughs> like, she's just a monster. I think she's, like, pretty nasty, but she's not as bad, I don't think, as the Duchess. <laughs> I mean, the Duchess is pretty bad, but, like, one of the things that's weird to me about this movie, you're supposed to kind of feel like the Duke is a little bit justified flying into a rage and murdering her. And it's like, God, why did we waste that much time on trying to justify this? He's insane and just murdered a woman. I think this movie spends way too much time trying to justify a lot of relationships in this film because their initial flirtations and everything seem very clear where this whole thing is going. And we don't need two and a half hours to figure out that he's going to fall in love with her. And because of the Hayes Code, meaning that they can never in any way, they don't even kiss, consummate this. Right. Because she has to be able to not go to jail and not be punished. Therefore, there can be nothing that's like adultery because that's the Hayes Code rule. She can't even really flirt with him because then she's asking for it. Right. So like we have an hour dedicated to our two romantic leads not flirting with each other, really. <laughs> I get it. I get it it that they wanted to build that tension but the tension was built 45 minutes before it ended and if you can't consummate anything then what is the point yeah uh, there is no point i hate this movie <laughs> like i just i just like it's so overlong it's so everything i dislike about oscar bait period pieces I think there's a lot of extremely bad acting in this film, and I kind of can't quite untangle where the bad acting ends and the, like, bad plotting forced on it by the Hayes Code begins, you know? Right. 
that where just like some people are being asked to do shit that's just straight up impossible because it doesn't make any sense. And then some people like there's a very minor, except for the very beginning and very end of the film priest character who's got the hots for Betty Davis. So Betty Davis can still have a love interest after her love interest for most of the film commits murder. And like, he's bad. (laughs) He just like can't read lines very well bad. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be one of the episodes where like, it's not Bingo Lancer Claus. We are going to talk about the film, but it feels like it's such a culmination of how the Hayes Code fucks stuff up. I was describing it to my wife, to Nikki, and she was like, God, it must be so discouraging to see good art ruined by the Hayes Code. Oh, totally. It is kind of, but actually what's more discouraging is movies like this, where it seems like they just rolled over, where nobody like gave a shit for a single second about making good art. And we're just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever we got to do to get past the Hayes Code, like, it's fine. Uh, hold, Hold on one second. Because I've got to feed the cats because they are losing their damn mind. <laughs> okay. And they're making so much noise. Uh, but yes, Hayes Code Art. Put a pin in that. Because <laughs> I do want to talk about that. So I don't know if this audio is going to get saved at all, but this has been an extremely cursed recording round. We've been trying to set it up like all week. I'm out of town in San Francisco for complicated business reasons. And we were supposed to do recording on Friday, which was yesterday. And then my hotel became just construction central. It sounded like they were literally jackhammering above my room. And so we uh, put off the recording. And the result of that is that Susan gets to do a real marathon job of doing the editing on this. So thank her for that when this episode comes out on time. Anyway, because recording this has been almost as much of a nightmare as watching this movie. Not quite, but real close. Also, edit all of that out if you want, Susan. (sighs) Alright, I'm back. Yay! I did a, a brief monologue about how much of a nightmare recording this episode has been while you were gone, which you can feel free to edit out or not. Uh, cool. So yes, the Hayes Code and art. So I think that you're absolutely right about that. And the way that it really shows in this is you have to get to a point where it at least makes sense that this man is going to murder his wife over this other woman. But if they've had no physical intimacy whatsoever and... There's been very little in the way of flirtation because, again, like we have to be very, very careful not to even imply that there is adultery. It ends up not making sense unless it's that he's just a homicidal piece of shit. Right. It actually ends up kind of being more disturbing than just if he was like murdering his wife because he fell in love with the nanny. Right. Because, like, we have to spend so much time trying to make it both that this is such a passionate romance with absolutely no physical intimacy, which is weird and creepy, and that he's kind of justified in murder, which is super creepy. And not just no physical intimacy. Every time that he tries to kind of steer it into talking about romance, she's like, well, I do just love the children so much. 
It's super weird. Yeah. The natural thing to do here would be to have them feel like this huge magnetism, but have her keep begging it off. But like, we can't even really do that. Like, that's kind of too much for this movie. Right, right. So she just spends a lot of time not understanding that he is attracted to her. Yes. It's pointless. Like, after you have the first scene of that, why are we doing that for, honest to God, almost half of the runtime of this film? If he kills his wife instead of just being despondent, then you have to believe that the wife is the only thing that's sort of standing in the way of consummating this great love. And there's very little that Betty Davis's character gives back to him to make that a reality. It's really like, oh, well, she's just so naive and sweet and innocent and pure. I mean, she doesn't even tell him that she loves him. She She's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I hope he knows. Because you have this framing device, I spent the first 10 minutes going like, oh, so she looks like this sad little moppet because she's been beaten down by the events of the flashback. And then you go into the flashback and she's still a beaten down little moppet. There's nothing to her from minute one, like from the first moment in the timeline you see her. She just is waiting for tragedy. Well, I mean, apparently she did have some sort of tragic familial issue that's never really addressed. Right, where the dad liked Napoleon too much and has disowned her for admitting Napoleon is no longer in power or something. Well, she has to use a different name because his title came from napoleon so in order for her to get a job she essentially has to be disowned i think i maybe but it seemed like he was disowning her for trying to go to work for the aristocracy he believed so passionately in the end of the aristocracy that like he disowned her for wanting a job I- <laughs> Yeah, how dare she? That's just another example, though, of, like, nothing can ever be her fault. She can never do anything wrong. The universe has to have wronged her at every turn. And it's just, like, it's it makes her so boring and passive and, like, uninteresting. Yeah. Ugh. I honestly, I have had to resist, we're like not even 20 minutes into recording, and that's including the break, and I've had to resist saying, should we rate this movie like four times? I do want to talk a little bit about the acting in more specifics, because you're right that the preacher guy is not very good. Yeah. There's some frustrating acting in this movie, because I think that Charles Boyer is really doing everything that he can with what little he has. He is very tender and he is very thoughtful and the few occasions where he loses his temper before he kills his wife feel earned. And then it just all gets thrown out the window. That to me was very frustrating because I felt like, well, at least somebody is pulling a lot of weight here and is going to make it work because it's telegraphed from a mile away as soon as he walks in and his wife is like, I'm never going to send that letter that he's gonna kill her. Barbara O'Neill as the wife is such a one-note villain. I cannot figure out if she's just not doing a very good job with the part or if the part is just impossible. Probably it's a little bit of both. It's not the greatest performance in human history and it's just a very bad part. One of the few things that, like, fascinated me through this watch is, why isn't this working? Obviously it isn't working. 
But like, let's really try and dig into why. Right. And she was the one that I spent the most time going back and forth of like, uh, maybe, well, maybe she's doing the best she can. Maybe the best she can just isn't good enough. Like, I, I just don't know. I agree with you that Charles Boyer is really doing the best he can. I think he's giving the best performance in this bad film. And in some ways, that's, like you say, it's kind of tragic. There's this extra tragic dimension of like, God, and you screwed him. He's trying so hard. Yeah. He's trying so hard to give a good performance and you just made it impossible for the man. And how dare you? (laughs) Right. Like at a certain point, there's just a mountain that's not scalable. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even talked about the completely bonkers thing. So apparently, and this is true, that this was based on a true story that had some measure of responsibility or contributed to the unrest in France that led to the second French Revolution in 1848. The Les Miserables French Revolution. Right. But the way that that is just glossed over and it's like, Yes, and then because of a man's love for a simple woman who was just a little governess, the whole French Revolution happened. And I'm like, I don't think that was the entirety of the reason for uh, Louis Philippe I being deposed. There was some other things that contributed to that. It also makes the whole framing device where she's like, Oh, I should have known they'd find out even more bonkers. Because it's like, yeah, you should have. Apparently you're the single most important person in Europe right now. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it probably should have occurred to you that it, word was going to get out. Yeah, now that I think about it, uh, yeah. And then the girl who started the whole rumor, who's crying at the end, who says, I'm going to go home and burn all of the newspapers that my family kept. And I'm like... You're not going to burn all of the newspapers and erase everyone's mind on the planet. Yeah. There is like an intriguing movie here in this setup and this situation. It is intriguing in ways this movie doesn't want to investigate. It's weird because you have the perfect setup for like a fatal attraction or like that type of movie. The vaguely erotic thriller. This movie is like, "Mm, what if there's no eroticism and we really cut down on the thrills? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, this is one of those situations where they should not have made this movie. For sure. If the code doesn't let you tell the story, don't try to tell this incredibly watered down, flavorless version of it because... The result is that when you have a line like, oh, and then the French Revolution happened over this little governess, that seems like an order of magnitude that this story does not deserve and does not allow for. (sighs) Yeah, I, I guess we should talk about Betty Davis before we rate this film. But like, she's just given nothing. Like, she just, she just has interesting bone structure. Like, that's just... <laughs> Yeah, she has very wide eyes and a very small face. Yeah. I mean, the part demands an absolute lack of charisma, but boy, she's delivering on that lack of charisma. Like, just nothing is being output from Betty Davis in this film. I feel like the 
the part actually does demand some level of charisma. If you have to skirt all of the nonsense that the Hayes Code will not let you do, then she needs to be the most fascinating, charming, delightful, magnetic human that ever walked the planet or some kind of femme fatale or something. That's the bonkers thing is because of the code, she can't be interesting. If any part of her existence in any way encouraged him to be interested in her, then the Hayes Code is unhappy with what this movie is saying morally. So she just has to be this totally blank slate that he's inexplicably fascinated by. It's bonkers that that's where they ended up and they were like, yeah, okay, I guess that's not a fundamental flaw. Let's keep making this movie. (laughs) But like, that's where we are. You are right in terms of, like, the basic elements of storytelling. (laughs) She ought to be charismatic in some way. But, like, it is the intention of this movie for her to be as boring as she is. Yeah, well, it's certainly the intention of the movie. I feel like, script-wise, you could have gotten away with some level of magnetism on her part, even if it was not inherently sexual, But no, I mean, it seems that really the only thing that he likes about this woman is one, his kids like her, and two, she's literally not his harpy of a wife. Yeah. There is a really insidious patriarchal thing happening here where it's like, well, if you are absolutely boring and quiet and have no personality, but kids like you, then that's the most attractive thing you can be as a woman. Yeah. I mean, this movie is also wildly sexist. This is yet another thing where, like, the Hayes Code attempt to not be creepy makes it all so much creepier. She's fine with the kids, but, like, that he seems to become so fascinated with the children again once she's there is just weird. It's not even like a Madonna horde contrast. It's like Madonna harpy. Because she's the totally virginal mother. Yeah. And then the actual mother can't be a whore because then we would have to talk about sex in any way. So she's just a monster? Just a sexless monster. Yeah. It's not good. It's not a good movie. <laughs> we probably should have Bingle answered this one. I, I, The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, God, at least some people like shot each other in Jezebel. Christ. <laughs> Uh, I think I'd rather have talked about this movie. Eh, okay. All right. I mean, it's it's a close run thing. Jezebel was also a very bad film. Starring Betty Davis. Yes. But let's rate this very bad movie starring Betty Davis. <sighs> two? Yeah. I'm, I'm coming in for, yeah, two makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, like, the sexism is bad, but it's not so overt. Though maybe that doesn't make it any better. It is not a movie where, like, the psychology of the world is a worse place for it continuing to exist. And we've watched quite a few of those. Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. Like, it's just a very bad movie. And so I think two, which is about how many hours they should have cut from this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously, don't watch this movie. Yeah, don't, no. I think it's really funny that two episodes ago you were like, we're gonna have to be careful because movies are just gonna be good now. We just can't give out too many tests. (laughs) (sighs) Well, yeah, and we're... Really, I think 
Weirdly, the thing I have thought the last two episodes is like, oh, it kind of clarified, like, you know how we learned to not give everything a one? That we really, like, dug into that range between a zero and a three? Right. I feel like we're going to have to start digging into that range around ten. The ten to eight range is going to be clarified by having several good movies in this year. This isn't one of them. Our town wasn't one of them either. No. But we still have, like, two stone-cold everybody-says-they're-classics movies in this year, don't we? I mean, we at least have the Philadelphia story. And the Great Dictator, yeah. Yeah. There is the possibility that we may have more tens in this year, but it has definitely been a pendulum of a year so far. Oh, for sure. I think you're right that I was overly worried about that. I just think it's going to be fascinating to see how it shakes down as we are challenged to figure out what the top end of the spectrum, what you have to do to distinguish yourself there, as thoroughly as we have figured that out for, like, movies that have almost no value. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So next week, we are watching The Foreign Correspondent, or just Foreign Correspondent? Yes, no article, which is the second Alfred Hitchcock movie that was nominated in this year. Wow, okay. And at all, but also in this year. (laughs) (laughs) And I have nothing to say about it because I'm not on my usual computer and therefore don't have my tabs open, but the last Alfred Hitchcock went pretty well, so let's see if he can go two for two. Yeah. And until then... This could have been a movie. Like, all the elements were there. (laughs) It was so close. And instead, it's just two and a half hours of wasting your time. Two and a half hours of bowing to the Hayes Code is what it is. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. You should have heard them. Even now. Did you love her? Did you love her? I couldn't have bought it for long. I would have said it to their faces. Yes, yes, I love her. With every drop of blood in me, I worship her. She's my heart. She's my lost soul. I've been searching for.